This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. That is 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6. Guys, I really appreciate you guys listening in to this particular episode of the podcast. Now, here's the thing. I normally tie in the scripture that I read from the top of the episode into the episode somehow. But today's a Q&A episode, and so there's not really a tie-in. There's no really direct tie-in for that scripture. I just read that this week, and I loved it, so I thought I would share that with you. And the other thing is, guys, this is an interesting episode for me. It's not really going to make any difference to you, but I just want to explain. This is the last time that I will be recording live in my studio for the foreseeable future, right? So I'm recording this. So if you know any other news comes out, uh, I'm recording this on the 7th. Uh, this is Monday, the 7th of February. But basically, I'm going dark. I've been working my tail off since about November of last year so that there would be no disruption in the podcast because my wife is Lord willing going to be giving birth to our second son Elijah in the middle of February we're expecting he might come a little bit early but you know I basically wanted to be available from the end of February through the beginning of April in case anything went wrong with baby or mama or if anything needed to kind of if he came early or any of those types of things but I didn't want you guys to miss out on anything that was happening with the episodes I've been releasing Tuesday and Thursday for a while now. I didn't want to mess that up. And so we've got a bunch, and I mean a bunch of amazing podcasts already ready to go. Most of them are interviews. A lot of great books are coming out here the first and second quarter of the year. And so that is going to be all squared away, but I'm not going to physically be doing this for a while. So the next time you hear me, it'll be cool for me, but not as cool for you, but did just kind of want to let you guys know that. But if you guys would not mind as well, Please pray for the Thompson family. Every time you have a baby, it's an exciting time, but it's also a little bit of a stressful time. Even if everything goes to plan, you know, you have the sleepless nights and, you know, the the bickering and everybody's got a short fuse and, and that's just kind of what happens. And my wife and I feel like we learned a lot after our sweet baby James was born, but it just wasn't a fun time for us for a very long period. And I think we missed out on some of the sweetness of that time period. So we're trying to make sure that we don't do that with Elijah this time around. But guys, your prayers are absolutely, absolutely appreciated. And also just one thing I wanted to mention as well. Since I will be going dark for a while, I will be checking my email. So I know a lot of you guys have reached out even here recently about uh, men's events that you're going to be doing, whether they're conferences or kind of one day events, and you're asking me to come and speak at those events. So I'm booking up my calendar for this year. So if you guys want me to come speak live at your event, just let me know by going to undaunted.life backslash speaking. Okay. So that applies to me speaking live in, in a one or two day event or me speaking on your podcast. So those are the ways that you can get a hold of me, just undaunted.life backslash speaking, or you can just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. Okay. Now guys, in this episode, 
We're going to be getting into a lot of stuff. Now, here's the thing I will tell you as well, just kind of give you a peek behind the curtain. I gather the questions from you guys for these Q&A episodes, and I gather them over months and months, and then I kind of pull them out and, and put them together and get them ready for you guys. But whenever I put them into the bank for you know when I'm going to go record, I forget some of the questions that are going to be there. So I don't have these long prepped answers for these things. A lot of this is kind of off the cuff, off the cuff but we will be getting into a lot of great stuff on this podcast. We're going to be getting into the drama with Joe Rogan and Spotify, which is seemingly changing by the the day, uh, the Freedom Convoy in Canada. We're going to talk about Tom Brady, who just retired, and whether or not he can actually be considered the GOAT of all sports or even just quarterbacks in general. You know, I've been asked about advice to newly married men, the worst bourbon I've ever had. Uh, and if you stick with us till to the end, I think this is a very important question. I can't remember how it was posed, but it, it, came, it made its way to me. I'll give you info as to whether I think Jesus would have gotten the jab. And I have to say the jab, because the moment you say any other way, Anything other uh, thing that's considered close to the C word or the V word or any of those things, and everything gets flagged. So we're gonna get into all that, but I will uh, work on that here towards the end of the end of the show. And as always, if you guys want your questions to potentially be answered on a future Q and A episode, you can DM me the questions on any of our social media platforms. I will tell you, it's a lot easier for me to get to the Instagram DMs, or you can shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. So there you go. Spent five minutes of the podcast just kind of setting everything up, but here we go. Let's launch. In and we're going to get right into it. What are your thoughts on the Freedom Convoy and why haven't you done an episode on it yet? So I, I love that I get episode or uh, you know messages from people now that it's like, hey, why haven't you talked about this yet? I thought you were going to talk about it. why haven't you done this or that. So I actually appreciate those because it lets me know what you guys are into and what kind of gets you fired up. And so the reason why I haven't done an entire episode on it is partially because of all the prep I've been doing, working towards the end of end of February, getting all these interviews. I mean, just to let, let you guys know, in about a three week span, I think I'm doing like eleven or twelve interviews, and all of those require books to be read and a lot of prep. You know, if you like my interviews, I don't just go in there half cocked and just kind of start firing off questions. I really go in there with an idea of the narrative that I'm wanting to kind of spin for you guys. So that's kind of why I haven't done an entire episode on it. And it's happening in Canada. It's a cool thing. But basically what's happening is all these truckers are getting together and, you know, they drove uh, across Canada in this big, long line. They made their way to the capital of Canada, which is, I guess, Ottawa, which I learned this week. And uh, they've uh, basically parked there and, and, you know, they're basically against the vax mandates, especially for, for that group. It's interesting because about 80% is my understanding of truckers are vaccinated, but they're not anti-vax. They're anti-forced vaccination, right? They're anti, you know, vaccine mandate. That's essentially what they're doing. And it's inspired people here in the United States to potentially do something similar to do the same thing. So it's a really interesting thing. And it's been fun to, to kind of watch it. And Justin Trudeau, who is one of my least favorite people in in the world like just seeing how he's responding to this saying that these people are holding like inappropriate views or unacceptable views i think is the word that he used it's showing just his complete cowardice because he can't actually engage with these people uh, there have even been reports that he escaped to america i say escape but he's chilling out in america until things calm down in canada so don't really know what that's about uh but the thing that's interesting about it is that this might happen in america and all, all that's great and it, it's cool there's an actually a bigger story that's happened inside this story that I think is something that all of us should really think through, and that's what GoFundMe did. So right from the beginning of this, uh, they started to GoFundMe for the the Freedom Convoy and so that they could raise money, and uh, I'm not sure where that money went, but they raised millions and millions of dollars in donations in a fairly short period of time. And then all of a sudden, GoFundMe decided out of the blue that they were going to shut down their page that they were going to shut down the Freedom Convoy's, uh, you know, charitable donations and all those things. And so 
that's not that shocking because, you know, they're obviously a leftist organization. They've kind of done stuff like this in the past. You kind of get it where they're like, oh, well, this is kind of going against the, the vaccines and going against the Canadian, the very liberal Canadian government. Like, maybe this isn't the best thing, right? But the maybe the worst and most sinister part of all this is initially GoFundMe said that they would they would not just blanket provide refunds to all the people that donated to the cause, right? But that the funds that were donated, again, millions and millions of dollars, would instead be sent to a what they called credible and established charity verified by GoFundMe, otherwise known as theft. Right, because if, if I decide I want to give my money to the Freedom Convoy or to something else, and then all of a sudden GoFundMe decides, yeah, I know what you said you wanted to do, but we're going to take that money and we're going to give it to a charity that we like, you know, probably more left wing, probably liberal. And as a lot of people have pointed out, they've gotten rid of this page, but Black Lives Matter raised millions and millions and millions of dollars using that platform, and those people weren't just, you know, parking their trucks outside of federal buildings. They were lighting them on fire. They were fighting police officers. They were throwing bricks through businesses. They were killing people. And yet GoFundMe had no issues with that, right? But as I understand it, GoFundMe has uh, since then, because there was like an immediate outcry from everybody across the globe that, hey, you can't do this. This is death. This is a this is a big deal. So they actually did give those refunds back. And then there's a separate site where people can go. It's not GoFundMe. It's a different one that I'd never heard of where, you know, people are able to send the donations to now. But again, the fact that they even tried to do that, the fact that they even tried to pull that nonsense is astonishing. And the the thing is, is it's scary that a private company can do this because I'm very libertarian on how private companies operate. I'm very, you know, open to, you know, markets and all those different things. But it's absurd to me that it took outcry for for them to go back on the fact that they were planning to steal money from people that they politically disagreed with. Right. So there's a lot of things that you can discuss with the Freedom Convoy, but that is kind of the biggest deal for me uh, with that. So hopefully to those of you that wanted me to do an entire episode on it there, I spent four or five minutes on it. So there you go. Let's get into the next question. Do you think that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens should have been voted into the Pro Baseball Hall of Fame? Also, do you agree with David Ortiz being a first ballot Hall of Famer? So here's the thing. Uh, I think I've talked about this before on the podcast. No. I do not think that Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens or Andy Pettit or Mark McGuire or Sammy Sosa or Rafael Palmeiro or any of those guys should be in the Hall of Fame. Okay. They're cheaters. They knew they were cheating. Some of the guys have come out and given these half-hearted apologies later, but it's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't feel too bad for you. You already won the games. You already hit the home runs. You already collected the money from merchandise and from your contract. So, so these sorries after you retire, I'm sorry. I, I'm just not really big on that. Again, I think we should have grace for people that are actually, you know, trying to make things right. But I just don't really believe these people. And so the big news and the reason why the person is asking this is because Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, they were on the ballot for the very last time because there there's a time period where you roll off the ballot. You don't just stay you know, on there ad infinitum. And so they didn't make it in in their final year. Now, they still have the ability to be brought in. There's like a Veterans Committee and a Hall of Fame committee that could uh, choose to bring them in. There have been people that are like, hey, we could have a steroid wing and you know, talk about the steroid era and Bonds and Clemens and McGuire and Sosa and all those guys could be in it. But I, I don't really know that that's really uh, possible. Um, there had been growing support for Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens being in there. And a lot of people, the arguments of those two is like, well, they would have been Hall of Famers anyway, even before they started doing steroids. But you can't just say that. 
Roger Clemens is, is kind of iffy. Barry Bonds is a most definitely a Hall of Famer before he started juicing. But then they decided to do that. And they decided to lie about it over and over and over as they were collecting tens of millions of dollars. Okay? So, no, under no circumstances do I think that they should be in there. But the thing that you also have to think about is there are guys that are currently in the Hall of Fame that's very likely use steroids, right? The, the one off the top of my head is Pudge Rodriguez, which I was a huge Yvonne Rodriguez fan growing up because I grew up, you know, Rangers fan when I was in elementary school before I knew better, right? And so the thing is, is Yvonne Rodriguez, um, he was very, very squirrely anytime that he was asked about it. He got enormous at certain points throughout his career. Jeff Bagwell is another one. Again, these guys, these are not guys that we have, you know, positive tests for, but these are guys that ballooned up around the same time all these other guys were ballooning up. Jeff Bagwell and Pudge Rodriguez are both in the Hall of Fame. Okay. But now let's get to David Ortiz. So David Ortiz, you know, uh, DH, considered by many people to be the greatest designated hitter of all time, played for the Expos early in his career, and I think the Twins. Uh, and then he played for the Red Sox, and that's where he became a, a legend and helped them win three World Series titles, uh, two of which were over my St. Louis Cardinals, so screw them forever. But the thing about David Ortiz that people forget about, and they, they're just shocked when they hear this, he tested positive for steroids. We have a positive test from 2013. The, the test results were supposed to remain anonymous. It was part of this big thing that baseball is trying to do to clean up the sport, but the names were leaked. So his positive test was in the same batch as the positives from Alex Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez, Sammy Sosa, and then, you know, the ultimate supervillain of all this, Barry Bonds, right? So we look at guys like A-Rod and Ramirez and Sammy Sosa and, and Barry Bonds, and we're like, yeah, yeah, those guys shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. But somehow, David Ortiz becomes a first ballot hall of famer help me understand that there are baseball writers that never voted for barry bonds and roger clemens that put david ortiz on their first ballot as a hall of famer help me understand that is it because he's he's funny is it because it's boston is it because he helped break the curse is it because all the heroics from the 2004 alcs is that why because if we're being consistent intellectually, David Ortiz doesn't get in either. And yet here he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. And this comes to all these different things. You have a lot of these people like, oh, here you are moralizing. Oh, they, they did things and they cheated. But, but look, it's about baseball. and People cheat all the time doing this or that. And aren't contact lenses cheating? You know, because that's a performance enhancer. Isn't Icy Hot cheating? Because shouldn't that, you know, help you with your recovery? The thing is, is this is a private club. The Hall of Fame is, right? Voted on by these people that know a thing or two about the game of baseball. It's usually these beat writers that have been on the beat for a very long period of time. You don't just decide you're going to be a Hall of Fame voter someday. It's the same thing as the Heisman. So if the Heisman decides, if that you know committee or whatever decides that O.J. Simpson can no longer be part of the club, then they can't be part of the club anymore. So the fans can say whatever they want to say and his supporters can say whatever they want to say. But no, they're taking the Heisman back and they're melting it down and they're getting rid of it. The same thing is true with the Hall of Fame. This is a private club. This club has standards. And, and I understand Ty Cobb is in the Hall of Fame. That guy's murdered people before. There are some horrific people that personally that are in the Hall of Fame. But the thing about it is cheating on your wife as, as a baseball player, right? That doesn't have anything to do with your on-the-field uh, accomplishments, right? That's to deal with you being a sinful, horrible person, sinning against your wife, sinning against uh, you know, a judgmental and all-knowing and all-powerful God, right? So that's not a good thing, but we're just looking at baseball. The big difference with people being jerks or sinful beings outside the, of baseball and off the field 
is that that doesn't directly affect the game. Whereas somebody abusing steroids so they can throw the ball faster or recover faster or hit home runs farther, that does directly affect the game. It affects the outcome of the game, and it, it affects the, the true uh, essence of the game, which is that it should be fair, a fair competition. Why did everybody freak out when the Houston Astros did the whole thing where they were stealing signs, uh, using cameras, using signals, and doing the trash can thing? Is because it was unfair. Our oldest Chapman, who I am no fan of because he beats up women, when he got that home run hit off of him by Jose Altuve that sent them to the World Series, the Astros to the World Series, when he knew what pitch was coming, he hit it on an off-speed pitch, right? This is a guy who throws 104, and all of a sudden you know an off-speed pitch is coming. Don't you think that's to the benefit of the batter? And we freaked out about that, but then some of the same people are like, oh, we don't want to moralize when it comes to Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens. Save it. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, everyone else I've mentioned, including David Ortiz, should not be in the Hall of Fame. I'm a huge supporter of baseball, but I won't be supporting the Hall of Fame if they're just going to let guys like that waltz in. No, thank you. All right, next question here. Are there any shows out there like yours for intense, undaunted women? <laughs> so I actually love, I've gotten this question a lot, Oh, and I just never really address it on the Q&A podcast. I'll get it from women. They'll DM me or they'll email me or it'll be uh, husbands and wives that listen to the podcast together. And they're like, yeah, I know, you know, because the overwhelming majority of my audience is men and I don't do this podcast with women in mind at all ever. But the thing is, is I don't know of any, <laughs> like I really don't. And the reason is, is because that's not my target audience, right? So like yeah, someone even in our Sunday school was like, oh, they were looking for some podcast recommendations for a woman that's getting out of a bad relationship. And it's like, I'm like the podcast guy. So guys are like looking at me and it's like, I don't listen to those. <laughs> like you should, I've gone through before and I've talked about on my best podcast episodes, the podcast that I listen to. Almost every single one of those is very much so targeted at men. They have mixed audiences, but they're targeted at men. So to those of you wanting, you know, an intense podcast for women, if you find one and you like it, send it to me, right? You know, I want to check it out. I'd love to hear that. I'd love to be able to refer people to that direction in the future. But in terms of that, I encourage women, if they want to listen to this show, that is totally fine. I'm glad to have you. I know some women personally that I find to be very, very awesome women, and I'm glad they listen to this. But again, I repeat, if you're a female listening to this right now, I don't make this podcast for you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so excited that you're a part of what we're doing here, but I don't make any of this for you, okay? I make this for the men. But if you get value out of it, more the merrier. Let's keep it going. All right, next question here. What are your thoughts? Here we go, here we go. What are your thoughts on the drama surrounding Joe Rogan and Spotify? Okay, so considering the schedule and everything on the podcast, I didn't think I was gonna be able to get to this. That's why I released that, that video. I did like a five or six minute video on Instagram with my initial thoughts, but even since then, it has continued to gone. It's continued to go completely crazy. So I'll, I'll try to give you the best and most accurate rundown of everything that's happened if you have been living under a rock and not been exposed to the Joe Rogan stuff. So Neil Young, who apparently is a famous musician that you know only people that are in nursing homes ever listen to anymore, he came out and he said because Joe Rogan is spreading misinformation on his podcast, mainly referring to the interviews that he did with uh, Dr. McCullough and Dr. Malone, I'm take. I want all my stuff taken down from Spotify. Right. So Spotify is like, okay, I don't know what they make off Neil Young. Do they make, you know, 10,000 bucks, 20,000 bucks a year off of his stuff versus the tens of millions of dollars they're making by the fact that Joe Rogan is on, on their platform. So Spotify essentially said, uh, yeah, we're so sorry you feel that way. But if you want to take your music off, that's up to you. So Spotify didn't take his music down. He chose to take it off. And then there were a bunch of other geriatric rockers that decided to, you know, be in league with Neil Young and that they were going to, you know, want their stuff taken off as well. 
And then we see that Spotify announced that they were going to now be putting warning labels on any of his episodes that discuss COVID. So I don't, I know that there were the ones where the entire episode was about COVID, but I'm, I think they were even going to do that on ones where if he's talking to a comedian and they flow on it for about five minutes, they were going to put it on those as well. So I thought that was absurd. I thought that's ridiculous. They're treating Joe Rogan's podcast like it's a packet of cigarettes. So I, I don't really know what that was. But here's where I think the entire situation started to unravel. And I'm putting the blame squarely on Joe Rogan as this pertains. He recorded a video on his Instagram and he quasi apologized to the people that he hurt. I'm using major air quotes for those not watching me on YouTube. For those that he hurt. Oh my gosh, I, I hurt these people. So the positive things he said is like, look, you know, I have tried to present both sides. You know, I had on Sanjay Gupta and then I had on Dr. McCullough. But then he went up and went against his own reasoning by saying, I probably should have more people from the other side, from the pro-vaccine side, you know, after I do these interviews with these other controversial people. And so he's playing into the left's narrative and to the woke mobs narrative, the cancel culture narrative, that all of a sudden we need to be uh, talking to more people from the other side. Even though the people, Dr. Malone and Dr. McCullough, are two of the most respected people in their fields, two of the most accomplished people in their fields. And yet we should have on some other person. Like, I would love for Dr. Fauci to go on a show, even though he never would. I'd love to have Jen Psaki go on a show, even though she never would. But he, he gives this, you know, basically apology. Some people's like, oh, it's not an apology. That, that's what it was. He said, I'm sorry for those of you that have offended or that I've heard. And then he's like, hey, I'm just a podcaster. I'm just, he kind of does this thing to where anytime he gets into hot water, he's just like, oh, I'm just a, you know, a meathead. I'm just a podcaster. Oh, you can't listen to me. And yet he demands people listen to him on his show and to take his opinion seriously. So it's kind of like he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. He told this story about how much he loves Neil Young and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, how he didn't want to hurt his feelings and, you know, all these different things. So Rogan basically goes out there and apologizes. He says he agrees with Spotify about putting the warning labels on his own content, which I thought was absolutely shocking. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine it. But then we see a few days later, it was almost like it was, it was built out to be this way. Spotify had taken down my initial uh, tweet that I saw was had mysteriously taken down 70 of Joe Rogan's old podcast episodes, 70. And then it was 75. And then it was 100. And then the last I saw, it was 110. And I'm like, okay, what's happening here? And then we see the headlines. The headlines say, Spotify removes old JRE episodes because of Joe Rogan's use of the N-word. Now, when you see that headline, you automatically assume that Joe Rogan was at a bus stop screaming at a black guy, calling him the N-word while wearing a white pointy hood. That, that's what you would assume happened. Because there's no context provided. And even in some of these articles, you get the headline and then you click on the rest of the article and they buried the lead. You, you can't find any other context. The context is, is Joe Rogan many times on his podcast, usually when talking with other comedians, were discussing the use of that word and he would actually say the word, N-I-G-G-E-R. He would say it out loud as a word. And we talk about how it's silly that a certain segment of the population can use that word and it's not supposed to be offensive and how other segments of the population can't use that word. Otherwise, they are 100% racist no matter what, right? And so he's, he's had that before. He said it before. And now's a good time for me to kind of tell you, I don't think I've said this on the podcast before. I have also used that word in a similar context. I remember an exact situation that happened. This would have been 2005 or 2006. I was living in Murdoch Hall on the dorms uh, at the University of Central Oklahoma. And our hall director, who happened to be a black guy, which shouldn't matter, but happened to be a black guy, 
He was there. We're in the lobby. And there was probably about a dozen students in that we were having an intellectual discussion, an academic discussion about the use of that word. And there were some people that were making stupid comments, which is, how is it different saying it with an A at the end or an ER at the end? And why can you say it? Why can't I say it? And that's how they were, they were talking. Whereas I was trying to actually say, hey, that word in initially didn't mean what we think it means today. Right? That's not how it was used. But that is a word that was co-opted to try and harm people and to hurt people. And during that discussion, I used that word while we were discussing the word. And other people in the group that were white and other people in the group that were black and of other colors were using the word as well. We weren't just throwing it around haphazardly. It was part of an academic discussion. And guess what? When I said the word out loud as part of the discussion, none of the black people were like, you terrible, rotten, horrible racist, right? Like I wasn't kicked out of school. They weren't offended in the least bit because they understood the context of what we were doing. We were just talking about the use of the word and we were talking about the etymology of the word and where it came from and how it evolved over time, right? So if someone's like, oh, Kyle used the N-word, that would be the headline. But then they're ignoring everything else that is the context, which is the same thing here that's going on with Joe Rogan, right? He was never calling, never once that I've seen or heard, was he calling a person of color the N-word in order to demean them in, in, by any stretch of the imagination. And he said this before, and other people said this before, when you're listening to music, especially hip-hop and rap music, and the N-word is just part of the music, you're just singing the words and you're not even thinking about it. You're singing about you know, bitches and hoes and all these other different things and these horrible things in these songs, right? And you're okay with it all of a sudden. And sometimes that word comes out. Right. You're just that word just comes out and all of a sudden it's like, oh, gosh, like, where did that word come from? Right. But again, context matters. It matters if you're singing an old Dr. Dre song and and as you're singing it, the N word comes out of your mouth versus referring to somebody in a demeaning way, in a separatist way. Right. Go back to James two in in a way that that is separating people off and segmenting them, which is sinful. And so Spotify took these episodes down. We haven't heard whether or not Joe Rogan was okay with it, but he did another apology on Instagram about, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. And, you know, I, I use the words in this way, but I know now that that was wrong and, and blah, blah, blah. Basically playing into the narrative that if you are of a certain skin pigment, if you have a certain amount of melanin in your skin, you can or can't say certain words. So Spotify 100% is censoring Joe Rogan's content. Remember, Joe Rogan has said, a hundred times on this podcast since going over to Spotify. They've never messed with my content. They never tell me what to do. I never have discussions with them. And then look where we are. And here's the thing. They are 100% censoring his content by getting rid of it. That violates free speech, but they're a Swedish company. So they don't give a crap. They don't care about free speech. They don't care about the Bill of Rights. They don't care about the United States Constitution. But here's the other thing that people need to recognize with this Joe Rogan situation. Spotify has been doing this from the very beginning to Joe Rogan. Okay. Because when they brought his catalog over, which was, you know, over like, I think over 1500 episodes at that point, by the time he went over to Spotify, tons and tons of episodes, they deleted old episodes when they moved him over to the platform. Specifically, they deleted interviews with Alex Jones. I think they deleted interviews with Milo, uh, Milo Yiannopoulos and some other folks. So they did this from the beginning. Joe Rogan was not unaware of this. He was aware that they had done that. So to those of you that are shocked that they're removing his episodes now, did you know they had been removing them already? They had already removed some. And as time goes on, how many more are they going to remove? Because guess what he's also done on the podcast that no one's talking about yet? 
He's used the F word in reference to gay people. Right? Fill in the blank. He said that before. The short version and the long version. And as with almost every single person on the planet that has used that word, they're not referring to a gay person in a demeaning way. They're usually referring to another heterosexual male and calling him that as some sort of a, hey, you know, diminishing of his masculinity, right? Which in a lot of ways, being a homosexual is. It's, uh, it's, an, un, uh, like it's an unbelievable uh, disruption of the creation order, right? And it's a sinful lifestyle to lead out and to live out. And so that's the, another shoe that's going to drop is that, okay? But guys, this is what happens when you apologize to the mob. The moment Joe Rogan did that initial apology, which it was on Instagram, they were chum in the waters. Like he provided chum in the waters for his own potential demise. Because the moment you apologize to the mob, they will never forgive you. These are not grace-driven people. They have to destroy you. They have to squash you. And you gave them the opening. Because guess what would have happened if Spotify and Joe Rogan from the beginning gave him the Johnny Cash middle finger and said, you know what? I'm not racist. I'm not spreading misinformation. Like, this is BS. I'm a guy that's doing a podcast. I'm trying to figure things out. I'm having intellectual conversations with people over three plus hours. Give me a break. Screw you guys. We're done with this. We're not talking about this anymore. Again, I'm recording this on Monday the 7th. So by the time this gets to you guys here in a few days, I'm sure something else will have happened here, right? He, He may have been kicked off of Spotify by this point. But as of this morning, I heard that the Spotify CEO came out and wrote a letter to his employees saying, I'm so sorry we're keeping Joe Rogan on the platform. We're keeping him on the platform. I'm sorry, but we're going to spend $100 million on marginalized people groups to make sure their voices are heard. Goodness, this is a dumpster fire, an absolute dumpster fire of a situation. He's trying to keep his number one horse, Joe Rogan, right? Again, Spotify needs Joe Rogan way, 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 way more than Joe Rogan needs Spotify, right? So they're trying to keep their main horse happy while at the same time trying to appease all their woke purple-headed nerds that work for him. How's this going to play out? I think you all know how this is going to play out. Like. People are going to go on strike inside Spotify. People inside there are probably going to do things to try and hurt the show. Joe Rogan is probably going to start self-censoring, which is almost better than cancellation, which goes to the last point, and then we'll move on from the Joe Rogan stuff. If the woke mob can cancel Joe Rogan, they can cancel anybody. That is the reality. Because Joe Rogan, as I've said, and as many people have said, is uncancelable. He's way too big. He's famous for too many things. Whether it's, you know, television, you know, Fear Factor, whether it's his comedy, whether it's his UFC fight commentary, or whether it's his podcast. He's too famous. You, you can't get rid of his voice. But if the woke mob can get him kicked off Spotify, yeah, he'll end up somewhere else. Maybe he goes to Rumble. Maybe he starts his own thing with Elon Musk. Who knows? But if he starts self-censoring, if he starts thinking one thing but saying another because he doesn't want to make anyone mad, that's going to be an issue. And also, if the woke mob can get a Swedish company to cave, to control them and tell them what to do, what company could they not do this with? And guys, we've seen this with the biggest Fortune 50, you know, Fortune 100 companies around the, around the globe right now. They're, they're buying into this woke narrative. They posted the black squares during the George Floyd riots. They, you know, they, they're raising all these monies, uh, money for supposedly marginalized groups, right? 
that apparently aren't getting a fair shake in the country of the United States of America. Joe Rogan didn't start this, and he can't end it. But again, his best thing that he could do at this point is tell everyone to go screw off. He's going to do his thing. And Spotify should back him up on that. Because that ends all of this. Stop apologizing. Stop going out there and trying to make everybody your friend. Be yourself. And let everybody deal with the consequences. All right, guys, next question here. How can I balance work and gym life? Okay, so a little bit of context on this question because I know the guy that sent it over to us, uh, supporter of the show. This is a guy that's about to go, I believe he's about to start law school or, or he just started law school. And so the way he framed this question to me was giving me an excuse right from the beginning, right? Oh man, how could I possibly go to the gym and go through law school? Which I know the first year of law school is absolutely brutal. That's why most law schools don't let you work during the first year is because you have to give all of your dedication to the first year of law school. They don't want you quitting in the second year. They want you to quit early, right? That, that's kind of the whole idea. And a lot of people, not a lot of people, but there is a segment of the population that will quit and they quit in that first year. And so the thing that I told this guy is I called him out for it. I said, look, you're already putting an excuse in place. You're going to blame the fact that two or three years down the road, when you get out of uh, law school, uh, the fact that you're going to be fat and out of shape, you've already got your excuse ready to go. It's in the gun, ready to be shot, right? Oh, I was in law school, right? Which sounds a lot like, oh, my kids are young or, oh, my kids are in a lot of different sports or, oh, I'm just afraid of getting hurt like I did back in the day or, man, I'm just too busy with work or, man, I'm just whatever the excuse is. You got fat and out of shape, and now you're just looking for excuses. This guy's not fat and out of shape yet, but he's, he's going to get there. And so I basically told him, I said, if you want to actually take your physical fitness and your physical resilience seriously, then you have to work out first thing in the morning. So I don't care how early you have to get up. I don't care how early you have to go to bed. But that's got to be the first thing. Because the biggest mistake that people make with not working out in the morning, like if they're going to be the after... Uh, you know, after work people, they've got their gym bag and they're in their, uh, and they're going to go into the gym. They're going to change out of their suit and change it or whatever. And then they're going to go home is how many things go wrong during the day, right? Wife's mad at you. So you want to go home and be around her so you can maybe smooth things out. Oh, kid got sick. So we got to, you know, pick him up from school in the middle of the day and then, you know, kind of, you know, work remotely or, oh, something went wrong. The dog took off or you know, whatever things come up throughout the day. And then all of a sudden you're not going to the gym anymore. The people that work out after work, think about that. How many times have you had to not do your workout because something came up or you just convince yourself throughout the day, you know, the eight to 10 hours you were at work, man, I've had a really rough day. I'm going to go home and watch Netflix and chill with myself, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, but in the morning, so say so you got to be, be at work by eight, you know, you got to get out the door by seven 30, you know, you got to be in the shower by six 45, wake up at five 30, get after it, whether you have to go to the gym or to work out at home. And that's why I'm an enormous advocate for home gyms, right? Because you, you're taking out a lot of the getting ready. So like in the summer times, I'm working out in my underwear because it's my garage. I'm working out alone, right? It's hot in there. And so like, I'm just going to work out whatever I've got on, right? But you can't do that in a normal gym. You got to get clothes on. Some people take a shower before they go to the gym, just in case, you know, they walk by the, you know, the gym hottie and they don't want to give them the, you know, the stank uh, walk by or whatever. Like I get it. But at the same time, like a lot of these people, if you just rolled out of bed, put your shoes on and walked into your gym in your garage, 
That's an amazing thing. And I know not everybody has a garage. Not everybody has that, that capability, but I'm a huge advocate for that. If that's a, a style that you can build, you know, spend the money early on all the equipment uh, that you need, which you don't really need a lot. And, you know, after six months, you will have paid for it with most gym memberships, especially if you're doing something like CrossFit. But again, that is how you get out of your own way. That's how you balance work and gym life is you get your gym stuff done early. Because here's the thing, when I woke up early this morning, I did not want to get up. I had squats in front of me. I don't want to do them, but I was required to do them, right? It's my duty to hit the garage and take care of my body, right? And now no matter what happens for the rest of the day, that box has been checked. What's probably one of the hardest things I will do today, right? And then I got to do it all over again tomorrow. Tomorrow I got deadlift and pull-ups. It sucks. I hate it. It's my least favorite workout of the week but I'm going to knock it out really, really early in the morning when it's really, really cold. And then when I'm done, I'm done. I've checked the box. That is how you balance work and gym life. All right, guys, next question here. What is the way, see, this is the thing. I always forget the the things that y'all ask. And then I have to like remind myself, what's the worst bourbon you've ever tried? Okay. So here's the deal with this is I have an exact answer to this, but I want to talk a little bit about that. I have tried probably hundreds of different whiskeys at this point. Again, don't be one of those nerds or idiots. That's like, Oh, do you like bourbon or do you like whiskey? Bourbon is whiskey, okay? Whiskey is the daddy category. And then off of that, you get scotch, you get rye, you get bourbons, you get, you know, Irish, Canadian, you get all these other different ones. So I've had a lot of different whiskeys in my life. But the number one worst bourbon that I've tried is Rabbit Hole finished in PX Sherry Casks, okay? Now you might be thinking to yourself, I thought Rabbit Hole was pretty good. I've got some Rabbit Hole. Some people can't even find Rabbit Hole because it's so rare and people really, really like it. Also, Kyle, I've heard you say before, you really, really like whiskeys that are aged and or finished in sherry casks. And you would be right. A lot of people do like Rabbit Hole. It is somewhat hard to find Rabbit Hole. I love almost every single whiskey, like especially scotches that are aged in sherry casks. It's one of my favorite. It's not cherry, right? It's sherry casks, right? I I love them. I absolutely love them. But the time that I had rabbit hole finish and PX Sherry cask, like literally my, my buddy and I were both drinking it and then we, we were silent and then we look at each other and we both just kind of go, this is kind of gross, but that's your first sip. Your first sip isn't always reflective of the rest of the dram, right? So we take another sip and another sip and every sip was terrible, terrible for multiple reasons. Number one, it just didn't taste good. Right. You know, a whiskey has three different things. There's a nose, a palate and a finish. Like the nose wasn't interesting. The palate didn't taste good. And the finish was even worse. Right. And the other thing was, is he and I both like sherry cask aged and finished whiskeys. And we were shocked at how bad this one was. And so of all the bourbons that I've tried, rabbit hole finish and PX cherry cask is by far the worst. And here's the other thing. There are other bourbons out there that are junk, right? You know, those $15 bourbons that come in a plastic bottle. But even some of those are really, really good. I mean, Evan Williams 100 proof, right? You know, the bottled and bond. I mean, you can get a huge deal of that for like, you know, 17 bucks. That's a good drinker, right? It's a, it's a positive, good drinker. But again, don't always judge a book by its cover. It's a gorgeous bottle from a, you know, somewhat reputable company, but goodness gracious, that was junk. But I'm going to add a couple of little bonus questions here to the end of your question. I'm going to tell you what the best bourbon I've ever had is and a bourbon I'd like to try that I haven't tried. So the best bourbon I've ever had in my entire life, there is no close second. It is Pappy 20-year-old. So Pappy Van Winkle, very famous. You've got the 10-year-old, which is the old Rip Van Winkle. You've got the 12-year-old Lot B. You've got a 13-year-old Rye, a 15-year-old Pappy, a 20-year-old Pappy, and a 23-year-old Pappy. And then there's also a 25-year-old Pappy, which most people have never had before. I've had all of them except for the 25. 
And a lot of people freak out about the 23 and they're spending, you know, two, three grand on it or something like that. But the 20 year old Pappy Van Winkle is the best of the lineup. That is like perfect. And my second favorite is a 12 year old lot B. It is like the perfect bourbon. A lot of, uh, red, uh, red berry notes in that it's super, super long finish. You can go back to your glass. Even after you drink it all, even like an hour later, you can still smell it. The best one I've had, but the bourbon that I'd like to try that I haven't is Michter's 20. So, uh, Michter's 10 year old bourbon is fantastic. I really, really like it. If you can find it, it's a, it's a great one. I definitely suggest that you pick it up, but a buddy of mine even here recently tried the Michter's 20 and he said it was the best bourbon he'd ever had before. So any of you guys out there that love me or love this podcast, if you've got a bottle of Michter's 20, shoot me a message. I will give you my address and I will gladly accept that bottle from you. I'll even take a little bit of a sample. Appreciate you very much, but let's get on to the next question here. If you had to survive, okay. If you had to survive a zombie apocalypse, which weapon would you use to survive? Funny thing about this question. We're already suspending reality by talking about a zombie apocalypse, right? That's not real. It's not going to happen. But if we're suspending reality in this fantasy, I'm an A-10 warthog uh, pilot, right? Like I, I'm, I'm killing people from the air, right? And this A-10 warthog will never break down, will never need maintenance, and won't even need fuel, right? It's just going to be fired by my, my, uh, excitement, right? That's how it's going to get up in the air and take care of business. So if I'm in a zombie apocalypse and we're suspending all belief and all reality, I'm in an A-10 warthog. And if you don't know what that thing is, go to YouTube. It is, oh man, that is an amazing, amazing machine. But, but, but assuming you meant I'm on the ground, you know, like all these zombie movies and television shows, and I've got to kind of work my way through society and, you know, I might get, you know, taken out by some zombies here or there. I would have, and I actually thought about this question a lot. Okay. I was thinking about it as a, you know, after I put it in the bank and I'm like, oh, what would I use? And maybe I'd use this. Maybe I'll use that. I'm going to go with a high capacity magazine fed shotgun. Okay. Now there are a lot of different ones, so I'm not going to mention any individual brands. You can go check that out. Literally just Google high capacity magazine fed shotguns. But I've seen some shotguns that guys have like 30 round magazines on. Now I don't really know how, how well those are going to work or how, how easily they'll get jammed up or something like that. But that to me, that's the stopping power you need. Because if you're going to go with something off of an AR platform, whether it's a 300 blackout or, a, uh, you know, 223, you know, maybe that's going to be good for you. Maybe you've got a scar that shoots 308s or something like that. But with these zombies, you know, I'd be worried about the through and throughs, right? You don't want to wound a zombie. You want to stop them, right? And let's say you don't get the headshot when you're shooting your, you know, smaller round or something like that. Maybe you get a through and through on the shoulder. Well, it's a zombie. They don't feel that, right? You got to take them out at the brain. So if I've got a shotgun, I've got a widespread, I can, I can do a lot of damage. And if you shoot towards the head, you're probably going to take them out. So if I were in a zombie apocalypse and I had to be on the ground, right? This is zombie land part three and I'm there, right? Give me a high capacity magazine fed shotgun. All right. Next question here is Tom Brady, the goat athlete, regardless of sport. Now I'm trying to remember back. I think I've answered this question before. I know I've talked about Tom Brady before, but again, it's pertinent now because he just retired last week, all the different things. So goat means greatest of all time. I have obviously, but a lot of people after he retired said that he is the greatest athlete. He's the greatest of all the goats, right? So they're putting him above Michael Jordan. They're putting him above, uh, you know, maybe you're a Michael Schumacher person from the F1 days, or maybe you're a, a Jack Nicholas person for, um, uh, for golf, maybe you're, uh, I'm trying to think of the other, the other goats. Maybe you're a Babe Ruth for baseball, those types of things. They're saying he's the goat of all goats. But here's the thing. I don't think there's any way, shape or form that Tom Brady can be considered the greatest of all greatest, right? And that's because Michael Jordan is still a thing. 
Okay, Michael Jordan completely revolutionized the sport. Went six six and zero in his championships. He became a brand. Right? Nobody's walking around wearing the new Tom Brady's. You know what I mean? You know, no one's walking around proudly with the TB logo on their hoodie. Right? He hasn't created, you know, everything that can be a GOAT on the field performance and off the field performance. He doesn't have that. It's not even close. I don't even know why anybody would discuss that. But it's also not a slam dunk, and, and no pun intended, it's not a slam dunk that he's the greatest of all time quarterback, which I know now is like blasphemy. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, you're such a hater. Like, why would you even say that? But guys, we need to look at, again, when you're looking at goats, and I, I normally have this in the context of MMA when I'm having this debate, you can't just look at a stretch of time and you can't just look at the things you want to look at, like stats and wins and losses and championships. You have to look at everything. That's why I consider George St. Pierre to be the greatest fighter of all time. Because when you bring up, you know, John Jones, the fact that he's you know, popped for steroids, right? Uh, you have to take that into account. When you bring up Anderson Silva, it's like he was the greatest of all time for about four or five years. And then he had the rest of his career where he lost like seven of his last eight fights. So I'm sorry, you can't just, you know, pretend like that guy's the greatest of all time. But we have to go down the controversies. First of all, there's Deflategate, which again, I didn't think was that big of a deal, but he was deflating footballs uh, in cheating. He was literally going against a rule so that he could have a better grip on the ball so that he could throw it better. He was cheating and he knew he was cheating. Okay, so there's that. Then we also have Spygate, right? The Patriots were videotaping other teams' practices and their walkthroughs. They got caught on multiple occasions. And it was interesting. Tom Brady was undefeated in the playoffs until they found the Patriots' videos and found their videotaping schemes. And then he was closer to 500, right? Or, I mean, not super close to 500, but he started losing games, right? Started losing just regular playoff games and started losing Super Bowls all of a sudden. But now we need to go through some of the stuff that led directly to Super Bowl wins for him. Again, he has seven, six with the Patriots and one with the Tampa Bay Bucks. There was the tuck rule game, okay? So he shouldn't even have been in the Super Bowl in 2001 because of this very, very obscure rule. He fumbled the ball. They called it, you know, a tuck rule. They changed, changed it to an incompletion. All of a sudden, they beat the Raiders. They go to the Super Bowl. Shouldn't even been in that Super Bowl. Then in the Super Bowl in 2003, the Carolina Panthers should have won that game. They just scored late in the game. And then the kicker for the Carolina Panthers, inexplicably, for the first time, I think, the entire season, kicked the ball out of bounds on the kickoff, which means the other team gets the ball on the 40-yard line, their own 40-yard line. And so they drove, you know, 30, 35 yards, put themselves in field goal range. They kick a field goal, and there you go. The, the Patriots win the win the Super Bowl. The odds of them winning the Super Bowl if they had kicked it out of the back of the end zone and they started the 20 went down very, very considerably. So there's another one. Then he lost twice to Eli Manning, right? So so a lot of people would be like, all right, well, you know, Eli's not really considered one of the greatest, but lost twice uh, once as an undefeated team. So you have to take that into account. Then you have the epic level bonehead decision from Pete Carroll whenever they were in the Super Bowl against the Seahawks in 2014. You're on the one-yard line. You have one of the most dominant, if not the most dominant running back in the league at that time, and you decide to get cute and throw a slant route, and you get picked off, right? They had three chances to get one yard on the goal line with one of the best running backs at that time, and they decided to throw a pass, right? So he should have lost that Super Bowl as well. And then also you go to 2016, and the historic collapse of the Atlanta Falcons. I forget how how far the Atlanta Falcons were up, but it was the biggest collapse in Super Bowl history. Now, with all those, you might say, well, yeah, Kyle, but he still had to do stuff. So the tuck rule, yeah, but he still had to go to the Super Bowl and win. Yeah, sure. Carolina Panthers guy kicked it out, out of the he started on the 40, kicked it out of the, you know, out of the field to play, kicked it off the sideline. 
But he still had to drive and get them in, in field goal range. Yes, I understand that. Epic level boneheaded decision. But, you know, he had to drive them before the Seahawks drove to get them in a position where they could win the game. And also, yeah, I know the Atlanta Falcons stopped scoring points, but, you know, Tom Brady had to lead the Patriots to actually scoring those points. And I get all those points. But when you take all that into account, is Tom Brady really that much better than Joe Montana? The answer might be yes. I, I'm very sympathetic to arguments that he might be. Is he that much better than any of the other great quarterbacks? The problem is, is the sheer number of wins in the big games. Peyton Manning doesn't have those. Ben Roethlisberger doesn't have those. Johnny Unitas doesn't have those. None of these great quarterbacks, John Elway, Dan Marino, they don't have these big wins in these big games, right? So I understand why people would say that he's the greatest of all time with quarterbacks. If pressed, I would probably have to eventually agree with that, even with everything put in. But if, if not, if you caught me on an off day, I'd probably say Joe Montana is still the greatest of all time, okay? But this idea that he's somehow the greatest of all time in all of sports, I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Let's get into the next question here. What are your thoughts on the father that tracked down and murdered the man that sold his daughter into sex slavery? Okay, now I know I've talked about this one before, but I can't remember when it was. I know there's a lot of new listeners to this audience, but essentially what this father did is his teenage daughter was basically kidnapped by her boyfriend at the time and sold into sex slavery, okay? So not only did this dad find his daughter and get his daughter out of sex slavery, he tracked down the boyfriend and murdered him, right? Pretty gangster. It's the movie taken in real life. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one since, you know, I know I've talked about this before on this podcast, but man, every dad out there, especially with a daughter, you get it. You're not having to suspend reality or spin, suspend relief too much or believe too much to really understand how you would want to do the exact same thing, right? Take, do, do the taken movie. Like you're, you're, you're the one saying, you know, I have a particular set of skills and I will find you and I will kill you. But again, he tracked down this guy and he murdered him. So as horrible as that human being is, he didn't deserve to be murdered like that, right? He deserves probably to spend a whole lot of time in jail, maybe the rest of his life in jail. But again, Deuteronomy 32, 35, vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip for the day of their calamity is at hand. Their doom comes swiftly. And if you're like, oh, that's just Old Testament, that's Old Covenant. Well, we see that in Romans 12, 19 in the New Testament. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So that wasn't that dad's life to take. It was his life to protect with his daughter. And I think he did his best up to that point to do so. But no, I can't be down with the fact that this man murdered him. I can say that I understand it. I can say that if somebody sold one of my sons into sex slavery and I was able to even the score, I, I can't even guarantee that I wouldn't be the one to do the same thing that this guy did. But to kidnap a guy, put him in the trunk of your car and stab him, stab him to death. It's a, uh, yeah, that's a hard one, but I think most of you get it. All right. Next question here. Do you listen to wolves at the gate? All right. So here's a deal. I have been asked about this band so many times since Undaunted Life was started. Since August Burns Red is the intro outro music, I think Wolves at the Gate have gone on tour with them before. And I swear to goodness, you guys ask me about this band all the time. And here's what I have to say I'm not really a fan. I'm so sorry to disappoint all my listeners out there that think because I listen to August Burns Red that somehow I should want to like a band called Wolves at the Gate. I'm not a fan. Okay. 
I hope those guys do well. I hope they make millions and millions of dollars and support their families and make the music they want to make and go on all the tours and do all the things. But when I listen to them, the sensation I get inside my ears as it attaches to my brain is not a positive one. Okay. That is more of a radio metal band, right? So you could expect to turn on, you know, the radio station, your local rock station, hear something like Wolves at the Gate. That's not my favorite kind of music, right? Wolves at the Gate and August Burns Red are not even close in terms of their intensity, right? Wolves at the Gate isn't metalcore, which is what August Burns Red is. So to all of you asking me about Wolves at the Gate, hopefully you're listening to this and hopefully you never ever, ever ask me about this again. I wish those guys well. I want them to be successful. You know, God bless them. No, I'm not a fan of Wolves at the Gate. All right, next question here. What are your tips for newly married men? Okay, so I actually do speeches sometimes for groups of guys that are about to be married or have just been married. And so I've got a bunch of rapid fire ones just off the top of my head that I know that I talk about. And I usually start out with something similar that you guys have heard me say before. Stop looking at porn and jerking off. That's number one. A lot of unmarried men that look at porn and jerk off, assume that when they get married, they're going to be having so much unbelievable sex that they're not even going to have time to masturbate. And for just about the entire married population of the planet, that is not true. Okay. And I also know men that have a very, very healthy sexual relationship with their spouses and they still look at porn and masturbate almost as if it's a compulsion or an addiction, right? But do not assume that your wife is going to all of a sudden be enough for you to stop looking at porn and masturbating. It's something yeah, you have to get in check. And again, I'm not a huge fan of going through these 12-step programs to get, get off of porn and, oh, we're going to buy this thing, we're going to buy that thing, and I'm okay with accountability programs. You know, I support them and I have them and, you know, I'm okay with, with guys that we want to, you know, talk through with some other guys and have accountability groups and all that. But guess what? At the end of the day, the people that create the filters, the, the guys that are in your accountability group, the pastors at church, they're not with you when you're at home by yourself. When you know how you can find porn, you can find it just about anywhere. And they're also not with you when you're going through the mental Rolodex and going through your highlight reel and using that as a masturbatory aid, right? They're not there with you. At the end of the day, you have to stop looking at porn. Some people have prayed to the Father and the Father has granted their request to have that no longer even be a, a vice or, or a desire for them. But for most everybody else, that's not there for you, okay? So that's the very, very first one. You've got to stop looking at porn, okay? Got to stop jerking off. The next one, one of the most low-key, but one of the best pieces of marriage advice that I've ever gotten, and I got it whenever I was engaged, is have one bank account. Have a shared bank account, okay? So let me just preface. They don't mean have all your money in one single account, okay? What they mean is all the accounts you have, you're both on them, okay? Because when guys start having affairs, they're putting it on the business card when they take out their, you know, skank for to, to dinner or something like that, or when they get a, a motel to, to bang their secretary or something like that. That's what they're using that money for. They're doing a bunch of stuff in cash and all that. From day one, my wife and I have had the exact same accounts. She has access to all of my accounts. I have access to all her accounts. And by hers and mine accounts, I mean for her business and for my business, right? But all of our other monies, they're our money. We're at the same bank. We both have the apps. There's no hidden money. And, you know, you might think, well, how do you buy presents for each other and all those things? We don't do those things either. Like we don't do like Valentine's gifts. We don't do birthday gifts. We don't do Christmas gifts. We put all that money towards, you know, travel and, and different things like that. We still, every now and then we'll, we'll get surprises for one another and things like that, but we have all the money there. Money or the, the reasons why most uh, couples list 
that they're getting a divorce other aside from the fact that they just don't love each other anymore or whatever crap they make up. But the thing about it is have one, have all your accounts shared. Great, great advice. Another advice for newly married men, have kids. I don't mean today. If you're 22 and just got married like me, like, you know, I didn't have my first kid until I was in my thirties, right? Like, I get it, but have kids. Your, your marriage is not about you and her only. Okay. You, you need to have children. That is a glorious thing that God has called for you to do. So don't be one of those people that's just like, ah, we've just decided not to have kids and be completely selfish for our entire lives. Definitely don't do that. Make sure that you have a plan to have kids. Also keep your families in check. And I mean, your extended families, right? So moms and dads and aunts and uncles and grandparents, they can really ruin, th- ruin Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? But then you have a lot of people where it's like, okay, they go to their mom when they're having problems with you and they talk to mom about it. Oh, you got to get that in check. You've got to get that in check. Okay. And I understand people have close relationships with siblings and different things like that, but that can absolutely, absolutely destroy marriage. When you let your families get in on you. And then like, I know people that it's like, you know, they would do two nights a week where they would have dinner with the extended family. And, you know, the family's kind of deciding when they're going to go on vacation and when they should buy a house and what kind of car they should have and whether they should have kids and when they should have kids and what they should name those kids and all those different things, bro. There's some families that are absolutely insane. And I'm not saying you don't need to have families. You need to disrespect your families or anything like that, but guess what? It's just you and her buddy. At the end of the day, when all of her other family members die off, Whenever your kids are out of the house, which is at the age of 18 and they don't come back because you're not going to allow them back into the house, right? It's just you and her. It's you and her forever. We are given marriage between one man and one woman to be the reason that we can have a way to understand God's love for us and Jesus' sacrifice for the church, right? For his people. So you have to keep your families in check. Also invest in your marriage. You know, if you want to read books together, read books together. If you want to go through the five love languages, do that. If you want to go to a marriage conference, like invest in your marriage. It's, it's shocking. The amount of guys that, that will spend money on workout equipment and on, you know, fancy football, you know, draft uh, information. You're going to spend 20 bucks for this extra special information or you know, go to this class about Bitcoin or, you know, whatever the thing is, but they don't spend a dime on their marriage. They're not reading books themselves. They're not investing the, the time or the money in the marriage, but that's something you absolutely have to do. Uh, I was going to go into some other things, but just kind of kind of a rundown of those again, like stop looking at porn and jerking off. Make sure you have access to all the accounts. Both of you have all the access to all your money. Have kids, keep your families in check, invest in your marriage. I think those are really good tips to start. And then, you know, they kind of go off and splinter off, uh, splinter off from there. All right, next question here. What is your favorite type of workout and who is, or what is your least favorite? Okay, favorite workout and least favorite. Um, that's actually kind of a hard one for me to answer because believe it or not, even though I talk about it all the time, I hate working out. It's not my favorite thing at all. I, I just told you, I did not want to wake up this morning and do squat. There's nothing fun about squat. There are people that see a barbell. Oh man. And they get excited. They're like, Oh my gosh, I could just put weight on that. And I could put it on my back and I could squat it. And then I could sweat and it'd be a lot of fun. If I could just snap my fingers and have all the bodily and physical benefits of exercise without having to actually do it, I would obviously do that, right? I, like, it's not like I'm hiking through the mountains and seeing the views. I'm staring at my wall while I'm squatting. I'm staring at the floor, you know, while I'm deadlifting. Like, it's it's just whatever. It, it's a problem, right? And for those of you like, oh, you stare at the floor when you deadlift, that's not the right form. I stare at the floor initially and then I move my eyes up. I have really good deadlift form. Shut up. But if I had to kind of break it down, in terms of my favorite types of workouts, if I'm knocking out a workout, I do like HIIT training right? Some of those where it's like, you know, as many rounds as possible in 20 minutes to where it's like, you know, five pull-ups, 10 push-ups, you know, 15 air squats or something like that. 
I kind of like those because when you're done, you're done and you're pumped up and it's like 20 minutes and you're absolutely destroyed. Whereas some guys spend two hours at the gym and I mean, they're not getting any work done. I could say probably my least favorite type of workout, man, type of workout. Uh, I don't like running distance. Uh, typically I, I keep my runs under like a 5k or under like distance running has never really been a long thing. I think my longest run I've ever done in my life is maybe seven or eight miles. Like I just never really see me doing a marathon, just the level of training that you have to put into just running for hours. It just doesn't really seem that exciting to me. I'd rather run sprints. Uh, sprints is actually another one of my favorites. I really do like running sprints because you get destroyed and you know, you don't have to run like 10 of them and you're like absolutely destroyed. Um, I don't like deadlifting deadlifts scares me. Uh, but it's something that I, that I do even last week, you know, I kind of, you know, let my form go on one rep of the entire workout and kind of tweak something. I've had to deal with that for the last week. So not really a big fan of deadlift, but there you go. Again, I just, I don't really like working out. It's just something that I do, but for you guys, just, you don't have to have a favorite workout. You don't have to have a least favorite workout. Just work out. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you ruck. I don't care if you, you run. I don't care if you, you know, do CrossFit or any of those different things. Just don't be a douche and talk to me about CrossFit all the time. Like if you're going to do that, but aside from that, you know, just do whatever is good for you. All right. Next one here. Would Jesus get vaccinated? Okay. So here's the thing about this one. I remember this coming up. I think it came up with someone on Twitter. I think someone wrote a blog about it and blah, blah, blah. And I did no prep on this question because I just literally, literally below this question, I just have the word flow, right? And so I'm just going to like figure this out as I go. Would Jesus get vaccinated? So there's, I guess, a lot of things to consider with that question. The first is that he's the son of God. So there's probably some magical healing, you know? So uh, here's, here's the thing that I w- would say is like he had the magical healing at his, at his disposal, but also he was, he was a man. At the same time, he was fully man and fully God. Uh, I can't recall off the top of my head anything from the Gospels where we describe Jesus being sick. That's not to say that he never was sick, but I don't know. Like, we don't have anything from Scripture to be like, oh, yeah, he had the sniffles and he went to Peter and Peter, like, burned some sage and rubbed some honey on his nose. Or, like, I don't know. Like, we don't have that from Scripture. But I'm assuming that he was sick at different times. I'm assuming he did some form of medicine or some sort of medical treatment. I assume that, but I don't know that to be the case. But what I do know is Jesus was 33 years old when he died. And so if we know anything about COVID, we know that this is not something that affects, you know, 33-year-olds that are in shape, 33-year-olds that aren't obese. We don't have any indication that Jesus had cancer or diabetes or lung disease. So, you know, COVID was not really going to be an issue for Jesus of Nazareth if he had gotten it. He very likely would have gotten mildly sick if, if he ever even showed symptoms at all. But in terms of getting vaccinated, a lot of people would say, well, Jesus is concerned about the greater good of humanity, so he would obviously have gotten vaccinated. I just don't really know that to be the case. Uh, I think Jesus would have very much so been uh, allowing of people to do what they, they felt was right, because there's not really a mandate in this specific aspect, not with other aspects. I'm not saying Jesus would say do whatever. I'm not a universalist or any of those types of things. But this is one of those things where it's kind of up to you. It's whatever you feel comfortable with. I, again, I don't know this to be the case, but if somebody wanted to treat, you know, a cough that they had by, you know, drinking some sort of a tea mixture and honey, like he may prefer not to do that, but would he actually say that that person was bad? Like, I don't think getting the vaccine or not getting the vaccine is a sinful thing, right? Either way. And so Jesus was wildly concerned about the hearts of man and about sinning against his father. So he was grace and truth. He always called people out for their sin, but he didn't like destroy them for it, right? He gave them a pathway to redemption. 
But again, I just don't really see it. It's certainly not a salvific issue, whether you decide to get vaccinated or not. It's a decision that you make for your own personal health. There's some people that are anti all pain medication. They're not going to pop an ibuprofen or a Tylenol or anything else or something harder like a Vicodin or oxycodone or something. They're, they're not going to do that. That's not a salva- salvation issue. It's a choice on your own medical well-being. Now, I do think where it does get into that is like, let's say you're addicted to oxy. Like, I think Jesus would have something to say about that. If you're constantly, you know, popping these pill pills to, you know, numb yourself or all that, and you're trying to get high or whatever with them. Like, I think Jesus would have something to say about that. Just like God gave us alcohol as a social lubricant, but it can be used in a negative way to destroy people and destroy lives. Same thing with sex or food or anything else. But again, I just don't know that Jesus would be too terribly concerned about whether or not to get the COVID vaccine. But if you and your own wisdom feel like you need to to go before the Father and, and pray for whether or not you should get the vaccine or whether you should not encourage other people to get the vaccine, that's great. That's good for you. Which goes into the next question, which is, are you anti-vax? Which is so interesting now because according to Webster's Dictionary, I guess I am anti-vax because they've added to the definition of anti-vaxxer people that are against mandates for vaccines. So I'm 100% against that. But I'm not against you getting the COVID vaccine. Again, if you haven't heard me talk about it before, I have chosen not to get the vaccine. The reason is, is because from the very beginning, my wife and I decided that we were not going to huddle up in our houses and hide until the vaccine was available. And so from that very moment, we became, you know, aware that we could contract this virus. And we were okay with that. Just like we're okay with the risk of contracting the common cold or the flu or something else. We know that that is a hazard that we take on. Every time we get in our cars, we know there's a chance we're not going to come back, right? Every time we get our heart rates up when we exercise, we know there's a chance it's going to explode and all of a sudden we're not going to be alive anymore. We, we take those chances. It just is what it is. But we both got COVID and she and I are going to have to deal with the long-term ramifications of getting COVID, which we don't know yet. Like we're, we're three years into this, but do we know what the effects of getting COVID, the alpha variant is going to be on somebody 10 years from now? We have no idea. We have no clue. People can't even guess at this point. They're just, you know, conjecture at this point. But for us, we know what we're going to have to deal with. We dealt with the initial getting sick. And then now we've got natural immunity to a certain degree for a certain period of time. But what we don't know are any of the long-term negative ramifications of getting the vaccine. We don't know that right? We know that some people get myocarditis. We know that some people are just dying after they get the vaccine somehow. Again, people don't like talking about this, but Marvin Hagler, the great boxer who died, like he died right after he got the vaccine. No one really talks about that. Bob Saget, the world famous comedian and the dad on Full House, Danny Tanner, he got the booster and then he died, right? His heart just stopped, but no one's really talking about it. Again, I'm not saying that the vaccines or boosters killed those people, but it's at least a question that needs an answer. And so. I am skeptical about the vaccine personally. It's something that I already have natural immunity that is multiple, multiple, multiple times more effective than the vaccine alone. And so for me, especially being young and healthy and my wife as well, we don't feel like that's that big of a deal for us. COVID is very, 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 very likely not going to kill us if we get it again. And it was extremely unlikely that it was going to kill us initially. And that is not to be insensitive to anybody that has lost family members or had a really, really bad experience with, with getting COVID. But for us, we've decided that we're not going to get this vaccine, but we're by no stretch of the imagination, anti-vax we've gotten vaccinations. We're getting our kids vaccinated. 
Like, but not with the COVID vaccine, but all the other vaccines that you normally get when you're a kid in your first few years of life, we're going to do all those. We're very, very pro-vaccine. We think that's a grace from God that there are vaccines that can prevent you from getting these preventable diseases that could very, very likely kill you. I think that's a great idea. I'm glad that as a population, as a humanity, we've almost eradicated polio entirely. I think there's like one country, I think it might be, I can't remember what country it is, may have been Afghanistan, but there's only one country that won't let you know people come in to, to give the polio vaccinations, but we've almost eradicated disease. I think those things are amazing. It's a preservation of the Imago Dei. Like when these people aren't suffering and dying in these horrible ways, you know, since we're in this post Genesis three world where there is disease that kills people, right? It's, but for me, we've just made that decision. But if you've decided in your own personal wisdom to get the vaccine, great. I don't care. I literally don't care. Now, if you start getting in my face saying, and I'm an idiot, some sort of anti-vaxxer because I don't want to get the vaccine, screw you. I didn't ask for your opinion, Right. You didn't ask for my opinion on your fact that you got the vaccine. And guess what? Getting the vaccine doesn't make you virtuous. This unearned moral superiority that people are saying that, you know, wear double masks in their car and get vaccinated. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't care about your opinion. We live in a free society currently that allows for you to choose whether or not to do something, whether or not to inject an experimental substance into your body. I'm just not into it. There would have been circumstances had I not ever gotten COVID. I very, very seriously would have considered getting the vaccine. Or I may have not have. Like, but this is the world we live in. I got COVID. It is what it is. I'm not anti-vax. All right. Last question of the day, and this is going to be an easy one. What grade would you give Joe Biden's first year? So F minus is a possible grade. So he gets an F minus. Okay. To the people that support Joe or <laughs> Joe Biden. I almost said Joe Rogan. For the people that support him, whether you voted for him or not, whether you still support him or not. I want to know what redeeming quality came from his first year as president. What is the thing that you can point to the accomplishment that you're like, Oh yeah, I'm going to hang my hat on that. Like that, that's what I want to do. Like that, that was so great because you can't say foreign policy because you got Russia knocking on the door of Ukraine. You've got China flexing all over the place. You've got the debacle that was Afghanistan. You can't point to the economy. Because even if the economy has grown in certain places, it hasn't grown nearly at the rate that it should have. Inflation is absolutely insane. And it's by their own doing by blowing all this artificial money into the marketplace and causing this inflation, which will only get worse. We're going to have inflation and stagflation. It's going to be horrific as we get into the rest of this year. But as we continue to move on, point me to something. He's not doing great on illegal immigration. It's wide open on the southern border. And we've seen evidence. Like uh, that's verifiable that they're putting these immigrants, these illegal immigrants on planes and flying them all over the country, right? And letting them settle. They're doing these, these plane flights in the middle of the night, settling these people all over the country, right? Like taxation is, is going to be going up. Like we're going to see uh, the rise in the, the Fed interest rates, like point to something. What are we hanging our hat on? Because if it's, well, he's not tweeting mean things. Is that it? Is it the fact that he's just not Donald Trump? Because this guy isn't with it. And again, I'm not going to make fun of this man for having clearly having dementia, for forgetting what he's saying in the middle of a sentence, for being late to almost every press conference because they're injecting him with some magical medicine so he can get up there and not completely just vomit all over himself with stupid words. The guy's not with us, okay? He's not running the show, but he is the figurehead of the administration. But again, even if I was doing the, the most CNN or MSNBC or Vox or New York Times read of this administration, what are you excited about? 
Are you excited about the fact that he's discriminating against an entire swath of the population because he said that he's going to pick a black woman to be the next Supreme Court justice? And the thing is, is like, if a black woman happens to be the most qualified person that you want to put on the Supreme Court, great. I have no problems. Put an alien on there. Put a giraffe on there. As long as they're qualified to be a judge, that's that's what we want. But is that what you're hanging your hat on? This guy made a promise that he was going to have a black woman, that he was going to racially pick somebody and segment the population. I'm going to pick a black woman to be my vice president, a woman of color, and then I'm also going to put a black woman, a woman on the Supreme Court. I think Joe Biden, it loves the smell of his own farts. And he, what he wants them to smell like is that he's going to be, when he dies, which will probably be here soon, he wants to be known as this guy who did all these incredible things. That he was better than FDR, he was better than JFK, he was better than Barack Obama, that he was the man. He was the guy that put the first black woman on the Supreme Court. He was the guy that did this thing. He was the guy that got rid of this and got, you know, added that. He wants to be this person of substance and of grandeur. And it's just not there for him. He's a turd. Even when he had all of his mental faculties for all these decades that he was in Congress, he was a turd. He was an obscure politician that no one knew about until Barack Obama plucked him from that obscurity so that he would seem like more of a moderate, which Barack Obama is not. So again, For the first year of Joe Biden being in office, I can't point to a single thing that's positive for this country, right? And I think it's going to be an absolute bloodbath as we get to the midterm elections, and we'll just have to see where the rest of it goes out, but F minus. All right, guys, that is the end of the Q&A. And guys, again, I'm not going to be talking to you for a while there. I'm so sad. I know, I know you're going to be hearing from me, but I'm not going to be delivering any messages. So if any big news happens in the rest of February and March and into April, don't worry, I will be paying attention. I will be making notes and I will likely come back guns blazing, but I will see you guys later. All right, guys, quick resilience boost before we get you out of here. Add on Daunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. And just so you know that I'm a nice guy, even if it's something that I don't like, the only link I've got for you today is to the Wolves at the Gate website. So if you want to check out that band and tell me how wrong I am for not liking this band, great. It's solidstaterecords.com backslash wolves at the gate. You can check them out, listen to them until your heart's content. I don't give a crap. Go for it. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it wherever you're listening to this. Please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want to come and speak live at your event or on your podcast, I already told you how to do that. Just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life or you go uh, to undaunted.life backslash speaking. Also, follow us on Instagram and TikTok and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate. (laughs) Here I am at the very, very end. Guys, I'm just going to leave this in here. Normally, I would edit this part out, but I'm going to just redo that line, right? This is my last time I'm talking to you for a while. So here we go. Redo. Check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. Guys, I did it. And also, we want to also thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song, Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album, Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness. Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.